Welcome to the All About Alts podcast, where we explore the world of alternative investing to help you find financial independence. Join our host, Newview Trust's president, Jason DeBono, as he covers a variety of topics with different guest speakers to discuss tax and alternative investing strategies. It is never too late to start taking control of your financial future, and we are so excited for you to be joining us for this opportunity to hear from some of the best in the business. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the All About Alts podcast. My name is Jason DeBono. I am your host, and I am happy to have you all here. Today, we are going to kick it back a little bit old school, and we're going to go all the way down to the basics and fundamentals of money. One of the things that we've been talking about for some weeks now is a lot of these opportunities to understand new investment choices and new investment opportunities and how to invest into different strategies, whether it be taking a property and converting it into individual rental houses inside of a bigger rental house that's done through something like a pad split or student housing or some of the debt financing against college loans that are out there and refinancing some of those loans. And so one of the things we've getting a lot of questions on, and we wanted to just kind of go back and say, you know what, let's pause and let's make sure everyone's thinking about money the right way. So today we're just going to walk through what I call kind of the 10 principles of basic money management. Now, this is not rocket science. I will say I'm not the author of all of this. This is an amalgam of different things that I've learned over the years, but I've come to manage my own funds this way. And I've come to realize that most people, if you get six or seven of the 10 and you get them moderately close to right, you tend to be doing okay. So we're going to have a little bit of fun with this today. We'll go through some of these a little bit longer, a little bit shorter, depending on the topic. But let's start with number one, right? Money management 101, rule number one set a plan. When I say set a plan, this is something that I talk to people every day about is what's your plan? It doesn't matter what my plan is. It doesn't matter what the person next to you's plan is. It's what's your plan. And when we say set a plan, we say really a couple things. Number one, do you really look at your money in three different categories, right? Short, midterm, and long. And that's the way that I like for people to kind of think about how they manage their day-to-day is in that short-term bucket, right? This is how do I pay my bills at the beginning or at the end of the month? How do I make sure I've got enough money for an upcoming expense that I know is there? I would say anything under the 120 days or so is considered short-term. That means you got to be prepared to have the income coming in readily available for you. Midterm is when you start looking further out. Midterm could be anywhere from six months all the way up to three, four, five years. This is that area of money that a lot of times we gloss over, we step over, we don't think about what that actual bucket looks like. And then you got long-term, right? Long-term says, hey, what am I doing eventually, right? Long-term for some is defined as retirement, but I think long-term should be something for everybody that doesn't have to be all the way out of retirement. This is where I'd look at anything over five years, right? So as we go back and start setting a plan, then we have to kind of devise a way to understand what are we doing each category of our money? So from a short-term perspective, this is where your budget comes into play significantly. How much money do I have to earn? right? How much money do I have to earn for the basic life necessities? And then the question is, do I already earn that much money? If not, how do I earn more money? If I do earn that much money, am I spending it effectively? And so this is where we get into budget management. And we'll talk about budget a little bit more as we go through this. But when we talk about setting a plan, it says, for the next six months, this is my plan. For the six month to five years, this is at least today what I'd like to happen. It's probably not going to, but at least it's directional. 
And then the five years and greater is like a buoy out in the water that says, I just want to make sure I'm directionally headed this way. And so we'll come back and talk about that. If you do not have a plan, then you got to start all the way down with a pen and a paper with an Excel spreadsheet, right? And you got to start there. Let's talk about number two. How do I earn it? So before we even figure out a budget, right? A budget says, how much do I make and how much of that money can or do I spend? But before we get to that, let's talk about how you earn money. Now, we live in a society today where there's actually a lot of opportunities for side hustles and all these other things. So I want everyone to understand the most important number on your plan, on your budget, is how to earn money. And it's not how to earn money today. It's how to earn money over time. And most people think about earning money as what's on my paycheck today. And what I would challenge each of you guys to do is to stop thinking about this as a today and focus how you earn money in that midterm bucket that we talked about, right? Forget about how you earn money for the next six months. Let's just assume whatever you're doing today is the best you're going to do for six months. You make five bucks today, you're going to make five bucks every day for the next six months. But my question to you is what can you do today that can change the course of what you're doing so that six months from now that number is greater? Can you learn a skill? Can you get more education? And that's not just collegiate. Can you go and get any sort of vocational education? Are there certificates that would make you worth more in your current environment? Can you start your own business? Can you start a side hustle? These are all things that you're perfectly capable of doing, but you can't do them without a plan. So when we talk about kind of this plan mentality, it says, hey, where do I want to be today, right? Where do I want to be tomorrow? And where do I want to be in the long term? And as you come back to that and we start looking at kind of this rule and philosophy number two, which is how do I earn the money, make sure you're thinking about what you're doing to maximize your income potential. And again, don't think about this today. Most people fall into that trap. Think about this at a minimum six months from now. If you guys recall, and and if you're regular listeners, I think probably the last five or six people that have been guests on the show, as we started digging in a little bit to their careers and their career choices, every single one of them, while becoming more successful, has had to take some steps back, has had to make big career changes, and has to change completely from what they thought they would be doing five years previous. So I'd encourage you to make sure that you're thinking about your, not just your plan, but you're thinking about how do I earn money? And don't worry about if you went to school and you got a degree in X that you can't do Y. Or if you don't have a degree in X that you can't do it because you're not qualified. Every single thing you want to accomplish can be done, but it does start with a plan. And then it starts with how you earn that money. The last thing I want to touch on on this is for those of you that are employed, make sure you're looking at your benefits really closely. Make sure you're using that as a comparison from one employer to the other, and make sure that you're understanding that those also can be maximized as part of your planning in the short, mid, and long term. Number three, this is my favorite comment to tell people from a budgeting perspective, and it's just another way to think of a budget. Spend less than what you make. I use this a lot. So many people say, if I just made more money, I'd save more money. And I agree with that. Right. If I made 10 grand, I'd save more than if I made five grand. And if I made 50 grand, I'd save more than if I made 10 grand. But what I've learned is the reality is it's not true. Because if I make 10 grand and spend 10 grand, I save zero. If I make 50 grand and spend 50 grand, I save zero. So saving is not a byproduct of how much you earn, it's a byproduct of how much you spend. So the best advice that I've ever been given, that I've ever been fortunate enough to pass on to others is, 
truly spend less than you make. And if you do that and you set your budget accordingly, you will find ways to actually end up with more money, more savings, and more income. So for those of you that follow people like Grant Cardone, his philosophy is use the cash flow from your investments to buy the stuff that you don't really need in your life. So you want a really nice watch, you want a nice car, you want a nice house, boat, right? Whatever these luxury items are, go out and figure out how to save, earn money, and then use that savings or the cash flow off that savings to buy the stuff. And I couldn't agree more with that philosophically. So remember, if you want to save more money, spend less. And I promise you will never be upset that you save too much money. But if you do the opposite and don't save enough, it can be very, very painful lessons to learn. Number four, put your money to work. I think this is something that people are kind of waking up to, but this is such a powerful tool. Put your money to work. Don't be scared to lose money. We're going to talk about risk here a couple rules down, but just put your money to work. Money sitting in cash isn't always a bad thing if your plan suggests that you need that cash sometime shortly down the road. But if you've got money, go out and find ways to put it to work. Invest it. Generate return, even if it's just in some mutual funds. But there's so many different things that you can do with your funds that can generate yield. So a good friend of mine uses the comment. He says, money is like, take this idea of money, right? And it's like a friend. And you want that friend to go out and find more friends. And it's really simple, but it's true. If I can take that dollar and it can go find me another dollar, I've got two. And if those two can each find me a friend, then I've got four. And this exponential return that we're kind of seeing and experiencing starts to really come back full circle to us. So make sure, number one, that, that we're creating that plan, right? That's absolutely mission critical. Number two, let's understand the top line. Where's that money coming from? How do we earn more of it? Number three, let's make sure that we've got, without question, a budget that causes us to spend less than we earn. And then getting back down to number four is that delta, right? That money that we're saving, let's put it to work. And let's put it to work in the most effective and efficient uses that we can find. Going on to number five, use good debt. Now understand what use good debt means. It doesn't mean go into debt for no reason. It means use good debt debt. Now, there's no definition of what good debt is and what bad debt is, but I'm a general believer that good debt will always return you more money. Bad debt will always cost you more money. So an example of bad debt would be a car payment, right? Everyone would agree owning a nice car and driving a nice car is a luxury, but it doesn't mean that making an $800 or $1,200 payment every single month is worth it. So when you think about the way that we look at good debt and bad debt, sometimes we need debt just to survive. And I'm not suggesting there's not times in my life where I've had to use credit cards or any of those things that had to get me through. And that's bad debt, right? But that's okay. Sometimes we're forced into that. But if we have a good plan and we're making those decisions ourselves and we have time to really think through this, we want to focus on good debt. So what's good debt? Well, good debt is anything, in my opinion, that can generate more return than the debt costs. So if you look out and you think about education, education can be good debt or bad debt. A lot of times we assume that education debt is always good debt, and I promise you it is not. For me to go get a degree and spend $100,000 of debt to get a degree that's going to make me $40,000 a year is bad debt. It's not paying for itself. Good debt would be going out and taking on $40,000 of debt for a job that'll pay me $100,000. 
So when I look at good debt and bad debt as it relates to education, make sure you're really challenging yourself. I'll share a quick story. I was at a local high school. There was a group of people who were sitting on a, a panel and we were working with juniors and seniors. And we were just a, a sounding board of, of local professionals providing guidance for individuals looking to get out of school and begin their careers. It was absolutely amazing. I applaud the, the high school that put it on because I think they're light years ahead of many other schools. However, there was a question that was asked about student debt. And the question was in evaluating colleges and deciding where to go, what's the best methodology to evaluate student debt? And everybody kind of on the panel was answering with very professional answers, yet everybody in my eyes missed the intent of the question and missed the real answer. Because my answer was much different. It was not, how do you find the debt? My answer is, why do you need the debt? And when we turn this concept on its head and I ask some questions like, have you evaluated how much that degree actually costs and how much it will actually yield you in return? Have you looked at alternatives? If I go to school at school A that's 20% less or 30% less, will I make 30% less or will my income be the same? So if we're just choosing a school because we really want to go there and we're choosing a degree because we really like it, those are good and great, but taking on the debt to make that happen may not make the most sense. So I'm a big believer in working through school. I'm a big believer in not taking on student debt, but I also understand at times it's required and needed. So education can certainly be good debt, but make sure that you're not just using it and it becomes bad debt. Buying investments, whether it's margin trading, being very careful in the stock market, but margin trading, real estate is good debt. Income producing assets that can pay and you can get the power of leverage are all examples of good debt. So don't be scared, even in a higher interest rate environment, to look at debt as a positive. One of the things that I love about debt is that debt can be fixed. And when I mean fixed, it means that if it wasn't as good as you wanted and the market's changed, you can go out and make a course correction. So what I mean by that is if you buy a property at a 7% interest rate, even though we may think that's high, and it really depends on who you ask, right? If you ask people that invested in real estate during the Carter era, right, they're going to think 7% is dirt cheap. If you're asking people that have only invested in the last seven years, they're going to think that that price of debt is too high. The beautiful thing is if the numbers work, good debt is good debt at 7%, at 10%, at 12% or at 2% because the debt is being serviced or paid for from the investment. That's good debt. But in the event that you took on debt at 7% and debt went down to 4% for the same exact loan, you have the ability to actually go out and arbitrage that debt and refinance out of it. That's the one thing about debt that can work so heavily in your favor. If the debt goes up, so that same cost of debt goes up to eight, nine, 10, 11%, and you're locked in at six or seven, then you're actually winning the game because not only do you have an asset that likely has appreciated in value, but you also have a servicing cost that's lower than someone else to get into the exact same asset today. And those are huge advantages and play very well into an exit strategy. Number six, continually educate yourself. I commend you for listening to this podcast, just like any other podcast that you're listening to that's trying to help people understand how to make better financial decisions. But I commend you, this is a start. Education today is almost exclusively free through the entire value and benefit of the internet. There is no reason that if you want to go and figure out how to land bank in Montana, 
that you can't figure that out. If you want to figure out how to be the next crypto millionaire, that you can figure that out. If you want to figure out why people buy tax liens or why gold or how do you mine for some of these cryptocurrencies or what's the difference between residential and commercial and rental real estate versus buy and hold or fix and flip. All of these things can all be learned today through local groups, associations, as well as clubs, organizations, and then the internet. So if you are not educating yourself, I would encourage you to just pause and ask yourself, how do I go get that education? And there are times where paying for it makes great sense. There are times where maybe the free education will only get you to the 10-yard line, but a paid education will get you to the 50 faster. Those are all fair things for you to consider. And all of that should be really looked at under your plan. What is my plan? Do I have one? What's my goal? Where do I want to be in six months, a year, three years, five years, 10 years? And if so, then what are the investments I need to make in myself to get there? And education is such a powerful tool. It can come in the form of university level education. It can come in vocational level education. It can come from mentors and people that have experience. It can come from groups and, and memberships of other people that look like the type of person you're looking to become. But if you're missing the opportunity to educate yourself in today's market, then you're missing, in my opinion, the most critical tool in your tool belt, and that is you. So make sure that you are investing in not just what you want to buy and sell, but investing in yourself. It will be by far the best return on your investment. So let me recap on the first six, and we'll spend the last half of today's show talking about the last four, because these last four are very, very critical. But number one, set your plan, right? Where do I want to be and how do I get there? I kind of use the example of it's like a roadmap. Right. If I got in the car and just started driving, I'm not going to be nearly as effective if I got in the car and knew that I was going out to Washington. So make sure that you've got a, a roadmap and a plan. Number two, how do you earn your money? Not today, but six months or more from now. How do you want to earn your money? And if you don't earn it the way you do today, make those changes. Number three, put that money to work. How does your friend, your money go out and find more friends? Right. The more money it brings back to you, the more money you have. And that's exponential growth. Super powerful. Limit your debt or manage debt around, around the right types of assets. So good debt is debt that pays for itself. It's serviced by the investment. Bad debt is debt where you took on more money than you're actually getting in return. Stay away from bad debt, steer, steer clear of it, but absolutely run with arms wide open into good debt. And then lastly, continually find ways to educate yourself right? Let's make sure you're making the maximum investment into you. So there you have it. There is your first one through six on kind of the, the 10 top money tips that, uh, that I can recommend for just good general quality principles around how to manage money. So we're going to take a quick pause there. It is my favorite segment of the day. And today I don't have a guest with me, which means I get to participate directly in our quirky questions of the day. So while I'm a bit nervous, I'm also a bit excited. Remember, if you have quirky questions that you want to submit and get added to the list, you can email those to our show producer, Maggie with a Y at newview with a U trust.com. That's Maggie, M-A-G-G-Y at newview, N-U-view, trust com and we'll get those added to the list. So Maggie, without further ado, I'm going right on the top today. All right. So like I said, a, a bit nervous, but excited myself. So let's see what we got here. Question number one, what would be the silliest feature of your dream house? Whew. This is a good one, Maggie. 
Thank you to whomever sent this one in. Silliest feature in my dream house. Well, I think there's probably a few different answers I, I could go with this, but for me, it would be a slide in and out or a zip line, some form of easy movement into the top two or three places I go. So I like to go all the way up back. We have a, a fire pit out back. So if I could just leave my bedroom and get into a slide or get on a zip line and, and shoot back there and, and come back, that would be great, whether it be that or, or going out to get the mail or anything along those lines. So I think it'd be the series of zip lines and or slides, probably not a good effective use of money and certainly silly items to have in your house. But I think that's what I'd go with. Do you put toothpaste or water on your toothbrush first? You know, I read questions like this and it, it always concerns me that there's different people out there because I don't know how you put water and then the toothpaste. You got to put the toothpaste and then the water. But for me, that's a simple one. I don't know. I'm now going to look and see my wife when she's brushing her teeth to see if she does, in fact, wet the toothbrush before putting on. But I'd say my kids, but most of the time, just getting them to put toothbrush or toothpaste on their toothbrush is its own challenge in and of itself. So yeah, pretty straightforward here today, Maggie. That one's easy. Toothpaste, then water. Number three, if you were a state, which state would you be and why? you were a state, which state would you be and why? Now, I will say here, I've, I've done so much traveling for work and some personal travel over my life. There's only three out of the 50 states I haven't been to. So I think those three would be hard for me to know. But kind of thinking back to all of the states that I've been to, I think I'd have to go Florida. Now, I am a Florida resident. I have been my whole life. So this may just be the easiest way out. But I think I'm going Florida. And, and I'm going Florida for a few reasons. Number one, I love the water. And so I think I'm part fish. And, and so it would only be fitting that I was in a state that was surrounded at least on three sides by water. The second thing is I am so far from Florida man, but I don't know why, maybe because I've been in Florida my whole life, Florida man kind of resonates with me. So yeah, I guess because I'm partially Florida man and partially uh, fish, I'm going Florida. And there you have it. Today's quirky questions of the day. Thanks to our regular listeners that keep submitting those. I always enjoy looking forward to those. And I always have a lot of fun reading those out and hearing answers. And today, getting to be on the other side of that and even answering them myself. So thank you for that. Well, let's get back to money principles, right? 10 things to consider or 10 rules to live by as it relates to money. So we've been through the first six and let's kind of just get right back into it under number seven. Number seven is what is risk? And I love number seven because it really causes us to think about what does it actually mean? And I think this is an area that most people either really don't understand or get themselves into trouble as it relates to understanding risk. So when we kind of look at this, the point I want to convey here is, are you making risk-adjusted return investments? What does that mean? It means that does the level of risk justify the return? Because the more risk that you take, the greater the return that you should have. Now, there's no right answer and no wrong answer to risk. That's a personal choice, right? Everybody reserves the right to take more or less risk. I like in investing to gambling, right? You have the chips and you can put them on whatever game or table or whatever it is that you want. But understand that when you put them down at the blackjack table or the roulette table or the poker table, they're at risk. That means that they may not come back to you. So you need to understand what does that mean? Well, if they're not going to come back to me, why would I put them on the table? Well, we put them on the table because the upside is that more than you put on the table comes back to you. That's really what investing is. Now, obviously, gambling has a lot of additional elements into it, but I would argue that not much different. 
there's a lot of luck in investing just like there is in, in gambling, but it's all about having the right strategy that puts you in the biggest, best opportunity to make money. So when we say what is risk is, are you evaluating risk? Is the return on its best day justifying the amount of risk that you're taking? So for example, if you invest into something today, like a money market account, right, that has a few percentage point return, there's what you would consider a no risk investment. So your investment risk should be growing based on the return associated with what your money can bring back to you. So it's important for you to kind of take a look and have a benchmark. So what's a risk adjusted return? It means how much money can I make comfortably today with the least amount of risk? If that number's 3% or 4%, then taking on a ton of risk to make 5% is not a good risk adjusted return. Now, taking on a ton of risk to make 20% may be a good risk adjusted return because the no risk option is three, the high risk option is in the 20s, that may be worth the risk. Now, whether or not you have the risk tolerance, whether you have the ability to take on that risk and manage that risk, that's a personal decision only you can make. And that should be managed in your plan, right? Rule number one. So I do believe that you can take risk and you can take bigger and smaller risks based on where you are in the life cycle of your plan. If your goal is to have money saved and you have hit that goal and you have a good sufficient amount of money saved, then I think it's perfectly okay to take five, seven, 10% of that money and go take risk. But if you've worked hard to save 10 grand, you can't go take all the risk on 10 grand. So it's all about finding that, but understanding that risk tolerance and risk number for you. And that number is going to be your number and your number alone. Just because I'm willing to take more risk doesn't mean you should. Just because I'm not willing to take risk says it doesn't mean that you should. One of the things that I love about risk that someone shared with me is an old mortgage tale. And it says, if you're in the lending business and you are not foreclosing on a certain percentage of your loans, you're not taking enough risk. Now, most people would say, well, why would I want to foreclose? Wouldn't I be a great lender if I never, ever, ever foreclosed? And the, the argument is, yes, but you're leaving money on the table. You're better off being taking on slightly more risk at higher rates and foreclosing on a small percentage than you are just only writing the, the most simplistic conservative loans. And if you pencil those numbers out, there's a lot of truth to that. So losing isn't a bad thing, right? Losing too much or not understanding what losses can do. But losing in investments does not mean that you made a bad investment. It means that your risk profile gives you the ability and tolerance to do that. And in doing so, you're going to hit more grand slams or hit more home runs than the average investor would because that risk will pay off in some areas and it'll cost you in others. I will use this as a time to remind you of my favorite Warren Buffett quote, and that is, return of principle is always better than return on principle. So make sure when you're looking out in the marketplace and you have the next opportunity that you're really stopping and saying, what's my risk in this deal? And does the risk adjusted return line up to my investment strategy and my investment plan? But don't be scared of risk, right? Run into it with arms wide open, but more importantly, eyes wide open. But at the same time, don't just run into it blindly because risk can be a very expensive lesson to learn. Number eight, diversity, diversity, diversity. Now, I love diversity because I have a slightly different take on what diversity is. Some of you may have heard me mention this or talk about this with, with some of our previous guests. I had a client many, many years ago that said, diversity into something you don't know is dumb. 
And I thought, okay, and I'm kind of thinking through it. And he said, if I buy an investment I know nothing about just for the sake of diversity, it's dumb. And I completely agree with that individual. Diversity isn't just about putting a bunch of eggs in a bunch of different baskets. There's absolutely something right about that thought process. But diversity still has to have knowledge and risk-adjusted return baked into it. But when we say diversity means many things, make sure that you're thinking about diversity as not just different asset classes. For example, this same client, he's a lender, loves to do private notes. His version of diversity is different types of note with different borrowers in different geographic areas. His belief is that if I lend to great borrowers and mid borrowers and even some poor borrowers from a credit standpoint, but I do it in different asset classes like residential and commercial, and I do it in different areas like the Southeast and the Northeast and the Northwest, then I'm achieving diversity because if one of the markets goes bad, I'm not subject to risk. If the market economics change and impact, right? Great borrowers are feeling the pain more than diversity will allow me to get through that as well. So just understand that diversity is not buying different assets for the sake of buying different assets. Diversity is making sure that you're slicing and dicing your money into a different type of asset class and or asset geographically and or asset mix or profile, even under the same asset class, so that if something does go bad, you've got the ability to offset or, or something to counterbalance some of those market conditions. So love diversity. I think it's a great thing for people to be thinking about, but I really do think it's important that you never lose sight that diversity cannot let you invest in the things you don't know and understand because that's not diversity. But if you do know and understand multiple strategies, then certainly slice and dice that money into as many of those as possible. Number nine, this is the one that I absolutely love being on the IRA and custodial side of things, but it's keep more of what you earn. This, I think, is probably the greatest example that I can use to help distinguish the difference between people that make money and the wealthy. Because people that make money focus on what gets put in their bank. People that get wealthy don't care about that. They look at how much are they growing their wealth by. And there's a big, big difference between growing your wealth and putting money in the bank. So when we talk about keeping more of what you earn, it means, are you using tax efficiency on your investment strategies? Now, I've shared this in the past, but I'll, I'll just help people understand, maybe some of our new listeners, how important keeping more of what you earn means. If I take $1 and I double it for the next 20 years, every year at a 25% tax rate, 20 years from now, I'll be sitting around with my buddies telling them how 20 years ago I put a dollar into this account. It's doubled every year for 20 years. I pay 25% tax on an annual basis because that's my tax rate. I'm going to have about 78,000 bucks. Now, I think we'd all agree turning a dollar into 78 grand would be brilliant, but that's people that just want to make money. The wealthy would put that same dollar into a Roth IRA. They would forego the 25% of annual tax. They would live without the income longer because they're not worried about what's in their bank account. They're worried about how to build their wealth. And that same exact dollar over the same exact period of time would actually grow to just over a million bucks. So the difference between people that make money, right, which is the working class and the wealthy, is that the wealthy have figured out how to use tax planning to their benefit. If you are not using tax planning, regardless of where you stand in the income stack, you need to start focusing on that because tax planning is essential in building wealth. 
So if you think about it, same person, same dollar, same time horizon, same, 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 everything. The difference for the only choice of putting it into a tax advantaged account first, in this case, a Roth, means that you get to keep a little over a million bucks off that dollar versus only keeping about seven, $8,000 off that dollar. So that's the impact that taxes can have. Uncle Sam is your silent partner on every deal, whether you like it or not. Whereas understanding how self-directed IRA works and understanding how to manage money in 1031s and other tax efficient opportunities that present themselves is absolutely a basic fundamental strategy for success. You cannot get to the wealth building pyramid without it. So make sure that we're doing that. Number 10, the last one here, and it may sound so cliche, but it's so critical. And that is plan for the unexpected. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means different things to different people, but plan for things to happen because inevitably they will. So if I were to ask the question, if you today had a $2,000 repair on your car, what would you do? Would you have the money? If you don't, what would you go do? Those are the types of questions that you need to be asking yourself. If I was injured and ended up in the hospital, am I on high deductible health insurance? How much would it cost me to get that surgery or repair done? How would I pay for that? If you found out that your spouse, girlfriend, whomever was pregnant, right, unexpected, how would you be prepared to cover those costs of now raising a child? Whatever the unexpected is that can happen in your life should be looked at in your plan. And you should start planning for that. Because no matter what you do, no matter how you do it, the unexpected will occur. And whether that be having to buy a new cell phone, whether that be fixing your air conditioning unit, right, whether that be a car repair, anything along those lines, how are you prepared to manage those? So let's recap from, from one to 10, right? Set your plan. It starts with a plan, short-term, mid-term, long-term. What do I want to accomplish, do, become, and how do I get there? Number two, how am I earning money? Why am I not making more? Ask yourself those tough questions and don't just think it's someone else's problem to solve for you. It's yours. Make yourself an asset, start your own business, whatever that looks like, but go out there and start looking for ways to grow your income. Spend less than you make, right? I cannot preach this one enough. It's very simple. Spend less than you make. You are not entitled to have what someone else has. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You don't need the brand that's on your shoes or your car or in your house. You don't need any of those things. They're wants. The only things that you need are food, water, and shelter. Everything outside of that is a want. Put those wants on hold until you have the money to pay for them. Because if you put your wants first, you will never get ahead. The best advice I can give you is you can only have one vice. One. That's it. If you like to travel, let that be your vice. You like nice clothes, let that be your vice. You like nice restaurants, let that be your vice. But if you think that you can travel and have nice clothes and go to nice restaurants before your income allows you to, you are never going to get ahead. So spend less than you make. Put your money to work. Become an investor, right? Buy income producing assets. Don't be scared to use debt, which is number five. Educate yourself. Number six, use that education to put your money to work. Use that education to know the difference between good debt and bad debt, right? But let's make sure that we're making investments and we're giving ourselves an opportunity to earn more money passively. Because if we just trade labor for dollars the rest of our life, we're going to get tired. 
So find ways to trade labor for hours at the maximum, right? That's earning more money. And then turn around and figure out how to go make money while you sleep. That's the key to financial success. Understand risk. Don't be scared to take risk, but don't blindly take risk. Risk should be well cared for, well thought out, and you should know what you're getting into before you get into it. Utilize diversity, but don't lose sight that diversity doesn't mean different asset classes. It just means that you're protecting yourself in the event that markets or market conditions won't sing all the boats in, in your portfolio, right? It's okay if a couple lose. That's part of investing as long as a couple win to offset it. So make sure that you're understanding and utilizing diversity. Keep more of what you earn. Are you utilizing tax efficiency and strategy well? Are you using Roth IRAs to, to buy investments tax-free? Are you using 1031 exchange to defer taxes on property you may have already bet? Are you finding investments that have depreciation and or accelerated depreciation that you can buy and use from a tax standpoint? So make sure you're keeping more of what you earn. Don't fall in the trap of losing money to Uncle Sam. It's okay to pay taxes. It's the result of making money, but we want to pay as little as humanly possible. And then lastly, plan for the unexpected. I promise you as much as you think that everything's going well, it's a matter of time before something unexpected happens. A lot of people don't even realize when something unexpected happens that are financially fit because they don't have to think twice about it. But what would you do if, and whatever your if scenarios, make sure you're thinking about that. And the sooner you can pre-plan, the sooner you can get out in front of that, the sooner you can start to, to really achieve that monetary and wealth level of efficiency. So make sure that we're thinking about those unexpected items and that turbulence that lies ahead. So with all of that, I hope that you get six or eight of the 10 and you really focus in on them. If you can be great at 10 out of 10, good for you. I'm an 80% guy. I do good at eight out of 10 of these. There's a couple I could certainly heed my own advice on, but make sure that you're really challenging yourself, challenging those in your life that, that you share or have some sort of communal finances with, whomever that may be. Make sure that everybody's on the same page and that everybody is reading from the same book because you're gonna make decisions based on that and you wanna make sure that everybody's in lockstep towards this plan that you're working on. So I won't suggest money is simple. I won't suggest that earning money and spending money is an easy task, but I will suggest that with the right plan, the right execution and the right thought process, everybody could and should manage their money more effectively and efficiently. So let's bring it down the home stretch here. Again, one of my other favorite segments on the show is Learn Before You Burn. Today, I get to share another one of my Learn Before You Burn. This is where I share my experience in hopes that you get the lesson and the experience together so that you don't have to stub your toe and feel the pain to actually avoid stubbing your toe and feeling that same pain. So I'll dig down here and, and think for a second here from a Learn Before You Burn standpoint. But my advice, and I'm going to go back and just highlight one of these today, and that is spend less than you earn. Now, I know I'm going back to something we've already talked about, but I learned this lesson the hard way. I spent a lot more money than my income justified, especially coming out of college. And I spent two full years not spending money on anything just to pay off debt. And I look back and think, man, if I had those two years and all that money I paid back on debt, and I had all the money I spent so foolishly before that, if I had just put that money to work, put it into an investment, put it into anything over the last 15 years, that money would be six, eight, 10 times more money today. Instead, I had to dedicate two more years of my life just to try to clean all that up and fix it. So if there's anything that you take away from today's show, guys, 
make sure that you are truly spending less than you make. If you don't, if you want to spend more money, don't figure out how to make it work with debt. That's bad debt. Figure out how to earn more money, how to make more passive money, and then use that money for those purchases that you don't think make sense to go out and take on debt to go and acquire. So yeah, just be thoughtful, guys. Managing money is is a fun tool, but with that fun and opportunity comes great responsibility. So I encourage you all to continue to educate yourselves. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us on the All About Alts podcast today. If you like what you heard or you've been an active listener, please click that like, share, subscribe button. We're continuing to build and grow. All the people out there that want to know more about how to be better with money, how to keep more of what they earn, and how to invest tax efficiently. So we'll continue to bring as much content as we can on that. But we certainly look forward to uh, to you guys joining our group here and, and subscribing to the show. And we look forward to seeing you guys on future episodes. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for listening. We hope the information within this podcast has given you the tools that you need to find your way to financial independence. We would love to partner with you on this journey. Text ALTS, that's A-L-T-S, to 407-708-1853 to learn more about how to get started today. Don't forget to follow us to make sure you don't miss a second of content. And we'll see you next week.